0: Hi, friends. Welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist, and thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot wait to share this story with you. I've been waiting a couple weeks, and oh my gosh, I am so excited to have you hear from these precious people. Today, you get to hear my interview with David and Shannon Carroll. They're going to share an unbelievably interesting story how they were transformed, right? By a bizarre event. David had an event in his life that caused amnesia. It's crazy how our brains work. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it too much, but you need to know that this will keep you on the edge of your seat. Shannon and David live in Indiana with their three boys. David is a pastor at a local church, and Shannon runs a very successful wellness business, and they are the co-authors of the book, One Thing Remains, and it's being released this week. I cannot wait to get my hands on that book. This is a story you don't want to miss. It's so inspiring. Let's listen in. I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Shannon and David, for being here today. I'm excited to hear your story and just to get to know you a little bit more and to hear all the things that you have to say. So thanks for being here and welcome.
1: Thank you for having us. This is
0: a real honor for
2: us. It is. We're so just privileged to meet you and be a part of this. We've been looking forward to it.
0: Oh good. Me too. Me too. So why don't we just jump in a little bit and tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you live, what y'all do, all those things.
2: Sure thing. Uh we live in Indiana, so the Midwest. We have three boys. We have one four-legged friend named Raider who keeps us on our toes. <laughs> and um, I'm a pastor. I've been in the ministry for over 30 years. Okay. And I'll let Shannon say a little bit more about her.
1: <laughs> I'm a registered nurse by background, although I am grateful that I got to leave the corporate setting about four years ago, and come home full time to work with Young Living Essential Oils and homeschool our younger boys.
0: Oh, that's exciting! So four years ago you got to leave. Woohoo! <laughs> Woo-hoo. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's really great. That's a good life goal for people, right? So, you, and you're a pastor? Yes. And are you a, a senior pastor? What do you do now? And so the church that you're at?
2: I'm at Vienna Baptist Church, uh-huh. which is in Scottsburg, Indiana. It's a small church uh-huh. and um, just celebrated 14 years there this past
0: January. Wow.
1: I have to interject that when we got married, he was the worship pastor there, and I was his pianist, and we really enjoyed um, leading worship and could read each other's minds as far as worship, and it was not in the plan that I knew of when we got married to enter this world of pastor and pastor's wife. Um, probably a good thing that God doesn't tell us ahead of time what's coming necessarily. And, but it's been a wild ride, but also one that I'm very grateful for. Um, just wasn't expecting to wear those titles and those hats, but we're grateful for our church. We love our church. They've been a huge part of our story and part of our family, um, over this whole experience.
0: That's great. Okay. Well, speaking of your story, let's jump in a little bit. I I know you have a great story to tell, and I've read a little bit about it, but not a lot. And so I'm excited to uh, hear more about it, too. But before we get into that story, I want to hear about your life before this event.
2: Yeah. So before the, we'll call it the event, (laughs) um, it was full. I mean, overflowing full, full. We had a homestead, several acres, Um, We had chickens, we had an organic garden, we had an orchard, we had um, stocked waterways, we had, you name it, it was there. So trying to balance that, um, the demands, we grew everything from seed, so nothing was established ahead of time. And so that, and then just maintaining, you know, bush hogging and fields and chickens and all of that, plus the church, plus trying to be a good husband and a father and counseling others and everything, weddings and funerals and sermons and all of that Uh um, became um, just overbearing, if you will.
1: It was a lot. We were, but I mean, that's the normal thing. That's what everybody does. Everybody's busy. We all have full schedules. We all, when someone says, how are you? Busy and tired, but ha ha. We just kind of um, joke it off. And that's how we were. And it was all good things. Like we loved every part of our life. We were living our dream with the church, with the home-based business, with homeschooling, uh, with multiple little businesses on the side and with this homestead that we had these huge dreams of growing to be even more self-sufficient. We loved all of it, but we never had a break. We never took a break. We didn't take time for ourselves. We didn't leave any margin in the schedules. It was just go, 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 do, do, do. And not just in the, in the work world, but in the home world as well, as well. It's like there was never any way to escape reality and just press pause. We were on fast forward all the time.
2: So if there ever was a plug for self-care being aware of the need for self-care. That was it for us.
0: We've got the t-shirt on. We <laughs> have the t-shirt for that one. <laughs> the, so you weren't really you weren't really even aware of the need for self-care is what I'm kind of hearing. Well,
2: that was it. I'm the kind of person I'm a strong type A. So I go and I go and I go and then some Mm -hmm. Shannon used to tease me and say that I could step in for the energizer bunny if they ever needed somebody to step in. And and so that's what life was. And, you know, I had warning signs, but I ignored them because I was busy. I had things to do and I couldn't take time for any of that nonsense. I had to just press on.
1: We definitely had discussions like something isn't right. Something's off balance. Uh, David did have, episodes of chest pain, or we would just have these little mini nervous breakdowns and need to press pause for a day or two. Um, And we even had discussions like, okay, something has to come off the table. We've got to get rid of something. But we never were able to really take anything significant off the table because we loved everything. It was really tied to our values and our interests. So yes, we were aware that something wasn't right, but we also pressed through maybe out of stubbornness, maybe out of pride, maybe out of just huge visionaries and and dreamers about all that life could be. Yeah.
0: So this event now let's, I want to hear about it, about what actually happened.
2: So for, for me as a pastor, the holiday season, specifically Easter time is one of the busiest times of the year. And um, leading up to that time, I was still just going 110 miles an hour every day, all day.
1: This Um, is spring 2019, by the way.
2: Yes. Okay. So spring 2019 and that week I was really feeling awful, just awful. But me, because of my whatever pride, um, unwillingness to, to quit, um, now, I have always had the mindset of let's go kill it and drag it home. So I wasn't about to be defeated by just an, um, an inconsistency in how I was feeling. And so Sunday morning came and um, I was feeling really rough. And Shannon said that I was kind of clammy and she had even gone to, we have an EMT that attends our church. And so she talked to him before uh, the service and said, be on standby. And they were ready. They were thinking something was going to happen.
1: So when he says he wasn't feeling good, that is an understatement. I had the EMT ready to do CPR. (laughs) I had someone uh, designated to go grab the AED. I had a couple ladies on standby to get the church together to pray. If he collapsed while preaching that morning, he was in bad shape. And I should have in my nursing knowledge, just overridden his desires to keep going for church that morning. But We played along and finished the service.
2: So we went, we got through the service. Um, Afterwards, some friends of ours uh, said, hey, do you want to grab lunch? I said, no, I need to go to an ER. So that was, that was the next part of this journey. And so we went home long enough to hand our kids off to some good friends of ours and said, we'll take care of the boys. Call us later. And I'll let Shannon take it from there.
1: Yeah, because he doesn't really remember much after that spot. Uh, we got in the car to go to the hospital. It was about a 30 minute drive, but I thought we could make it. I mean, he was fairly stable, although his chest was hurting. He was having a little bit of trouble breathing. His color wasn't great. Figured we were having a pretty massive heart attack. And so we start down the road. He let me drive. That was an indication that he was not feeling well <laughs> when he gave me the keys. And so I'm talking with him. We're driving, we're on the interstate. I'm trying to keep him engaged and with it. And he tells me he's starting to get a little blurry, like this is not good. Um, He's crashing way faster than I anticipated. And we had probably been about 15 minutes into the drive and I'm talking to him, driving as fast as I can, and he doesn't answer me. And so I said, David, David, no answer. And I look over in between swerving through cars and he is completely unresponsive. So I, I shake him and I yelled for his name. There was nothing. So I pulled over to the side of the road and called 911. Scariest moment of my life. Ran around to the side door where he was, pushed his seat down and checked for a pulse. And for breathing, he had both, he, although neither one were very stable. His eyes were open, but he was, there was no response. He was just staring off into space. And I stood like that over him for about eight minutes um screaming praying crying until the ambulance arrived and he started to kind of wake up right before the ambulance got there but he was very confused and so i said we're on the side of the road i think you're having a heart attack the ambulance is going to take you to the hospital it'll be okay and he was he was out of it but it was a chaotic time
3: sure.
1: so the ambulance came and got him we drove to the emergency room i wasn't sure that he would be alive when we got there mm-hmm. uh, he had crashed on me that severely We got to the ER and he was alive, but he was clutching his chest and really panicked, said he couldn't breathe. So they immediately get him into a room and start all the testing for heart. And his heart stuff looks normal. EKG is normal. Oxygen levels are normal, even though he's saying he can't breathe. And it's really confusing. And within a matter of a few minutes, um, he starts changing his presentation to being confused and paranoid. He thought that he worked at that hospital, which he had about uh, eight years prior. He had been a server administrator in the IT department there, but he thought he still worked there. Uh, he was afraid people were out to get him, afraid the water was poisoned, like he needed to get his clothes and get out of there. Um, he, It was really bizarre. And I knew that as a nurse, this was not a normal presentation for someone having a heart attack. So I told the doctors and nurses, they started doing checks on his brain to see if maybe he was having a stroke. We had no idea. And it just kept getting more and more bizarre. Um, A funny story is a radiology tech came into the room and I let her know that he was really paranoid and thought everybody was out to get him. And so I left the room and she took her chest x-ray. She had bones on her shirt um, since she was an x-ray tech. These different icons were on her shirt. That really triggered him to think that, yes, she was an evil person. So anyway, I walked, in, walked back in after the x-ray. You know, here's this smart, he's brilliant, totally intuitive, amazing guy who's he, he's hallucinating and he's out of his mind. And he says, you know, this radiology tech told me to take a breath, told me to hold my breath when she took the chest x-ray but I didn't (laughs) way to go okay so it was just getting really really strange and our first clue that he had amnesia was when the confusion settled down the paranoia stopped the heart stuff stopped yet he still believed he worked at that hospital, and he hadn't worked there for at least eight years, and he could not. I said, you don't work here anymore. You're a full-time pastor. I'm a pastor? Yeah, you're a pastor. You don't know Viana Baptist Church? Vianna what? And so we started asking questions. Where do we live? And he, he thought we lived at a previous house, and he thought our kids were still, the younger boys were still in car seats, and in reality, they were nine and ten, and So we're getting this weird picture of he's got amnesia, but we still thought it was pretty temporary related to whatever had happened on the side of the road. And we stayed in the hospital for about three days and every test came back completely normal. And they said, we can't figure out what it is. We don't know why he doesn't remember the last eight to 13 years of your life, but sorry, go home.
2: And they literally ran every test you could imagine. MRIs, CAT scans, they did a heart CAT, they have stress tests, all of it, blood work.
1: Perfectly normal.
2: Everything checked out fine. And so when all of the professionals ran through their regimen of testing, the neurologist came in and said, we just were going to decide that this is cumulative stress is what caused this episode. And so your memories might come back in a week, a month, a year or never. Just go live your life. And so that's how I was discharged from the hospital.
0: So I have a question. Has had anything like this ever happened before?
2: Never.
1: Never.
0: Never. Interesting.
2: And the doctors even said, you know, we've read about this kind of thing. You're our first real life person (laughs) that we're treating with this kind of thing.
1: He, David could remember everything from um, that Sunday evening in the emergency room. He kind of came to late that night. And from then on, he remembered everything he was told. Um, it, 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 it was there. But the last eight to 13 years of life were gone. But before the 13 years, he remembered everything. He remembered us getting married. He remembered his childhood. He remembered jobs he had had. And we came up with the eight to 13 years because our youngest was nine at the time. And he remembered him in car seat, in a car seat. Um, So that would have been about eight years. Mm -hmm. And then we came up with the 13 years because that's how long he had been at this particular church. And he remembered nothing about the church. Um, Details in between the 18, eight to 13 years, he knew some, he didn't know others. It was really strange what the brain chose to uh, shut down and um, what it allowed. Uh, But for sure, everything before the 18, the 13 years, he remembered after the eight years, nothing.
0: Fascinating. So when you're in the middle of this event, was there like a moment, especially for you, I guess, Shannon, was there a moment when you were like, holy cow, everything has changed?
1: Yeah. uh, When I left his hospital room that first night. We had been through a pretty traumatic day from Mm. church that morning, preparing for an EMT to on the side of the road to everything else, realizing he had amnesia. And I said, I'm going to go to my parents' house for the evening. And here's your phone, which he didn't know what an iPhone was. He said, that looks a lot different than a Blackberry, which had been his last device he remembered. And so I had to teach him how to use his iPhone and how to text or to call me if he needed anything. And I left and went to my parents' house. And after everything had settled for the day, and I'm it's dark, and I'm in bed at their house, and just it's all hitting me. Um, I remember that moment specifically, realizing Mm -hmm. we're a part of something that's scary and that I don't understand. I chose to turn on some praise music and just pray and cry my eyes out mm-hmm. in that moment. But it was a pretty big defining moment for me. Mm-hmm.
0: What was the, th- like, were there thoughts or feelings specifically that came to mind right then? Like, I, I like those words that you were saying that this is part of something big, like something has changed and we're moving into something that is completely different. Right. But but were, any, were there anything else?
1: Just like, what is this? This is bizarre. I can't, I can't wrap my own brain around it. I can't understand it. Um, I believe that I knew that God was holding us, but I also felt like we were kind of in a free fall. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it was just overwhelming in that particular moment.
0: Yeah. So you came home. I mean, eventually, three days later. And then
2: what? So if you can imagine walking into your home where you've lived for years and not recognizing anything about it as though you walked in the door for the very first time, not knowing where your clothes are, not knowing where your toiletries are, not knowing where the dishes go, none of it. That's exactly, and I kept referring to it as her house. I was walking through the house. And I noticed that the hot water heater was leaking. I said, your hot water heater is leaking. You need to call your plumber. She said, well, our hot water heater can be fixed. And our plumber's phone number is in your phone.
1: (laughs) There was an emotional detachment from anything he didn't remember. So just that small example of the um, water heater. He didn't remember that water heater. He didn't remember that house. As far as he knew, that was not his house. It, you know, just yesterday, quote unquote, he was in a different house in his mind, how it was playing out for him. And so there was, it was one of the biggest struggles yet also gifts for us was his emotional detachment to everything that was familiar to me. Um,
2: so she used it as an opportunity to get rid of a whole lot of stuff because I wasn't attached <laughs> to it anymore.
1: anymore. <laughs>
0: that so is she, brilliant she my <laughs> okay that's so there are people out there right now that are going how do we get that for just a little <laughs> bit right, right just a couple We've had weeks. several
1: people say so how can we have some of those same results without having to manufacture amnesia
2: <laughs> and well and so inside of all of this trying to re-acclimate to the house to the neighborhood um, trying to figure out my way around town.
0: Okay, so what was going on in your head as far as like, I mean, what were your thoughts and emotions and feelings about this event while it's happening?
2: For the most part, it was like, is this really happening? Is this reality? Am I really lucid? Am I in a dream that I'm going to mm-hmm. wake up from any moment? Because none of it seemed real. It was all just so surreal. Mm-hmm. And walking through it. I mean, the the first time I saw my boys and they were older, that was really hard Mm -hmm. because I had pictured them, you know, still small, tiny, Mm -hmm. like Shannon said, in car seats and they come walking in and and they're not, they're little, they're little boys They're 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 older. That was a shock. Um, I remember when I, my folks walked in the door to come visit while we were still at the hospital and I thought, why they look old. And I looked in the mirror and went, when did I get gray hair? What, what, what did that happen? What and, it, and, and I kept thinking, some, I was trying to reconcile all of this in my mind, but it was hitting, just hitting a wall, hitting a wall. And I, I couldn't reconcile it. And it was interesting, while I was in the hospital, um, one of the docs came in and said, oh, you're probably just depressed. I said, no, I'm frustrated. I'm not depressed. There's a difference. And I'm, I know what that is. And, and she really wasn't happy that I didn't just want to get on some antidepressant medication. She said, well, maybe you just don't realize your are depressed. I said, no, I, I'm pretty sure I can figure that part out. I feel good. I just am completely frustrated because I don't know how I got here. And, and so working through those things and then just walking our property, looking at all that needed to be done there. I was looking at the garden. I looked at the chickens. I remember asking Shannon, <laughs> I said, why do we even have chickens? I don't even like chickens. So
1: that was your idea.
2: <laughs> and she said it was my <laughs> idea. I'm like, all right. But, but, but taking stock in everything that we had there, the house, the homestead, and just, just that, we realized, even in amnesia, we, we had a discussion. We don't know how this is going to turn out. But we have to put everything on the table because sometimes you have to get rid of the good to make room for the excellent.
0: Absolutely. And so we,
2: ha- we had a lot of things that were really, really good. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with a the garden. There's nothing wrong with having chickens for eggs and whatever. And there's nothing wrong with all of that. But because that it was just adding to the stress, the level of stress, sometimes you had to get rid of that. And so we literally put everything on the table my pastoring, um, which I didn't know any of those people at that point anyway. So it, again, it was emotionally detached. It would not have been difficult at that point to walk away. Um, the homestead, the chickens, the garden, the orchard, all of it we put, and we we had to, to start making some decisions about what do we need to let go of so that we can not repeat this cycle. Um, and if this is going to be what what is new and what is our, our ever after now, mm-hmm. right. Then we're going to have to figure this out as we go. And we had some really intense conversations about what's next. Um, we went to the church. She, Shannon took me to the church and I, so hopefully jar some memories and nothing. I found my Bible there. And I said, Oh, it looks like I preached through this and this based on this Bible. But I had no recollection of that. Um, and then, so here are all these people that were supposedly dear friends of ours that we'd had for over a decade that I knew nothing of. They all, and the weird part for me was to try to understand, okay, all these people know me and they have these expectations of how they knew me, but I cannot reciprocate any of that because I have no context for them whatsoever.
0: Mm. Can you put a name to the emotion that that brought up for you? Like all of that stuff, like not remembering all of these things, right? What what was the emotion or emotions that that, that came up for you?
2: Um a couple things. Mm-hmm. It would have been real easy to fall into the why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I was I was all set up and ready to go for a, a big pity party. And I can't believe this is happening to me. But then at the very same time. I came to myself and I said, well, why isn't this happening to me? Who am I that I would be someone that I'm above anything in life, you know, so, so different happening to me? I'm not. And so I was wrestling within myself daily Mm. and, and, and battling within myself. I mean, I had these vivid dreams where my brain was trying to reconcile all this. For example, one of them, um, I was I was going down this this business like a hallway of an office building and there were doors on each side, but they were all locked and it was dark. I could see. But at the end of the hallway, there was another door and there was a light behind the door. This first dream I had while we were still in the hospital. And so right when I was reaching for the doorknob to open the door, the, the physical lights of my hospital room came on and somebody announced phlebotomy. And I was so frustrated because I knew my brain was wanting to show me something. Well, that didn't happen. Well, then after that, we, we got home and I had a couple more dreams. One of them, um, again, was I was in a hallway and there were just these doors. I would open a door and there would be a door in front of me that would just slam. And so I would open the door. And so that's all it was. It was a hallway of me opening and slamming doors. That's all the dream was. I knew my brain was just still working, trying to figure this out. And then the the final dream was I was in an uh, information systems server room where all the computer server systems were. And I was going through, it was my job. Every single one of these servers, just row and row and row, all of these servers had errors. And so it was my job to go through and catalog all of these errors and then prioritize which ones we would address first. And I knew what that was about. My brain was trying to figure out what in the world just happened here or why was I locked out? What was it that I needed to reset from? And those are questions I was asking myself. I mean, there was was anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, There was fear of the unknown. There was... um, and just overwhelm times mm-hmm. but yet in the midst of all that equally there were times of great peace um great calm and an assurance that everything is going to work out as it should mm. how that was going to work out I had no idea and and the the interesting thing about it. Is <laughs> I, I did start to to meet with some of the people from the church and everybody of course had amnesia jokes. So do you remember you owed me money? I'm like, get in line. <laughs> and and so they were just you know, what people don't know what to say. Sure. Right? And I would just say things like, Well, just remember meeting me is like every time is like the first time. So and and just trying to make light of it because I, I did not want people to feel uncomfortable. Sure. And and I thought I really don't have anything to lose because I don't know these people.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're not really connected. It's like and 50 it, first dates, right?
2: Like it is. It, it, exactly. And but but yeah, so so many I can't put my finger on just one emotion.
0: But just so many.
2: Because every day there was a different set of emotions that I that I would walk through.
0: So I want to ask about your relationships. So maybe especially for Shannon, just to ask. I just would love to know how your relationships were impacted by this, right? Your relationship with each other, but also the relationship with the people that he didn't remember, but you did.
1: Yeah, it's really, again, bizarre. And in our book, One Thing Remains, that's a big theme that we talk about and and really dive into this tension of We're living the same thing, but in two different realities Mm -hmm. and trying to get to a point of grounding. And it was an exhausting daily moment by moment struggle. We're both in the same room. We know we've both lived the same life. We have very different understanding about that life Mm -hmm. and very different interpretation of reality. So as far as relationships, you know, we've mentioned our church and how dear they were and are to us. Yet he didn't remember them. And remember I said the things he didn't remember, he was emotionally detached from. So here are these people that are literally carrying us. They are bringing us food every day. They are sending us letters. They're sending us on trips. They are outpouring so much love. And I'm feeling the love so deeply, feeling the connection to them so strongly and being literally carried by them. And yet in the same room as my husband, who they know and love, and I know he knows them, but he is totally aloof. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's nice. Those are nice people. That was really a sweet thing that they did. But there was no connection, no mm-hmm. emotional connection. And him talking about if his memories never came back, not being able to go back to that church was ripping my heart out. Sure. And I was fighting to get back to what normal life was before. Um, when he was, he really didn't want a part of what life was like before he wanted something different. Mm-hmm. So those relationships grew stronger because I needed the, those people who were normal <laughs> and understood reality. Yet there was tension in them because I'm also carrying my husband who doesn't know them.
2: Community truly is a gift. And especially when you don't realize what a gift it is, when you are involved with a group of folks, no matter what group of folks it is, whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your community looks like, don't ever think that you have to hide from your community. Mm -mm. So many people want to just walk away. And it was so neat. One of the things that they did is they sent me cards with pictures inside of them of themselves and introduced themselves to me through these cards. And, and so that was kind of neat. And it was, I was, just, oh, this isn't, they look like really sweet people. <laughs> and one of the things that, one of the drums that I would beat is as Shannon was trying to reacclimate me to people and things and life, I told her, I said, I don't wanna know anything bad about anyone. I said, and the reason why is I don't have any context. I don't have anywhere to put that. No. And so I, I just need people to be able to stand on their own merit and I'll figure it out as we go along.
1: This was one of the most shocking things that I did not expect, but also one of the biggest lessons that came out of this for us is I I pretty quickly adapted into the role of historian. And so we would get a text from someone or a card from someone, okay, this is so-and-so, here are the five bullet points you need to know about their life, good, bad, and ugly. I mean, I, I just started sharing it, and um, and he didn't know several people in our family that had joined the family in the last eight to 13 years, and the church, obviously, and, and several friends. And I, one day I was just sharing with him some things that had happened in our family that were pretty tragic. And I'm just historian, just rattling it all off. Sure. Yep. Here are yeah. the facts. And he looked at me and he said, Shannon, I need you to stop. He said, I don't have any place, which this is an interesting concept. I don't have any place for that negative information in my brain. It's you you tell me this negative piece about someone, I don't know what box to put that in. I have no context for it. And it's just swirling around in my brain and causing me stress. So, so I don't want to hear another negative thing about anybody's history, not our boys, not our family, not our church, not our neighbors, not our friend. And he stuck to that the entire time. And even after his memories returned, and I, for one, realized how much I say negative things because mm. I had to bite my tongue. And then also I realized the, the damage that negative thoughts really do In our uh, brain. impact our brains.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's fascinating. I do kind of want to go back to the the whole idea of community. And I often talk about tribe, like our tribe and how, how our tribe is so influential in who we are, who we are, like, as our person, right? And who we become. I think it's just so important in knowing uh, who is in that tribe, right? And who is not. And I'm wondering for you during this time. And I mean, you have a church community, a bigger tribe, right? But you probably, hopefully, have a smaller inner circle tribe, right? And so I'm wondering if, if there were people who entered that um, during that time and people who maybe left it, you know, during that time. And, and what was that like for you?
1: So I had, I was posting on social media about uh, our daily story. And it was capturing the attention of hundreds of people. Sure. So that, that's a, a big circle tribe right there that's watching things. But then I had a couple of smaller text threads, sure. <laughs> one with my family. And they walked through this and they were the safe place. He knew most of them. So that was a plus. <laughs> and they really provided a lot of grounding for us. And then there was a small group of women. There were about five of them that I would text daily. They would check on me when I, I was more, I felt more safe to tell them when we were having really bad days than I felt to broadcast that on social media, even though I was fairly vulnerable for the first time ever, really on social media about the uncertainty that we were walking through and the layers of amnesia that were so difficult. There was a different level of openness and vulnerability with this very small group. Of people. And that small group is also what mobilized the rest of them um, to bring us meals and kind of ran interference for us Mm -hmm. when we did not have the capacity. We told people when you bring us meals, we would love to visit with you, but David doesn't know you and that's really stressful. So if you would just leave your meal on the front porch and ring the doorbell and leave, and we'll come pick it up later. And I would text the person later and thank them. But that's how weird it was at times. But I was so grateful for that small group of a tribe that communicated that message and really protected us mm. and understood our emotions and what we needed.
0: That's so helpful. Were there people who just didn't understand and were up? I mean, yeah. okay, so here's the thing. It would be easy for people to go, "Mm, I don't think so. I would imagine, to be honest, that you thought that at some points, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah. we felt a little crazy,
0: right? (laughs) And and maybe you felt like, I would wonder if I was talking to somebody like, how can you not remember that? Are you serious? Are you faking this? Mm -hmm. I mean, really, if the bottom line is, are you telling me the truth?
1: Yeah. Right. I asked that one time. I said this isn't a game, right? This is this is for real. And so yes, if I'm having those thoughts, I know everyone else is, which is why it was important for us to post on social media and be as vulnerable as we could to let people in. And but then we just had to have boundaries sure. and It is a part of it and it's painful, but for our own sanity, we could not handle the masses Mm -hmm. when we were just literally trying to figure out day by day. Mm -hmm. One thing we did do with our community that I think was really helpful was uh, we missed about three weeks of Sunday morning worship uh, when David didn't remember any of them. And so we sent them letters each week to be read in church. And they felt like they were getting a little bit of special attention from us. They didn't have to just read the updates along with everybody else on social media. They got a heartfelt note from us to be read in church. And I think that that helped. But yeah, there were people who misunderstood every part of it, questioned a lot of it, questioned our motives in posting and then writing a book even, um, Anytime you live your story out loud, you're gonna welcome people to misunderstand.
0: I love those words. Those are some good words of wisdom. And you live your story out loud, you're going to invite people even to misunderstand. That's really true.
1: The cool thing to remember is that out of a hundred people, there might be one or two negative voices, mm-hmm. but your story of being lived out loud and transparency. And strength is going to positively impact the other 98. Absolutely. So I had to tell myself, don't listen to the one or two negative voices. They do not represent everyone.
2: That's right. And I told Shannon in the middle of all this, I said, you know, I don't understand why us, I don't understand why we're walking through this, but we are. And so if any of this can help one person, then so be it. Yeah. And you know, I could choose to 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 be the victim in all of this, and woe is me, and why? Yeah. Or I could choose to say, you know what, the sun is still shining, we're still breathing in and out, we still have each other, we still have our family, we still have our tribe. Let's let's walk on.
0: I love that perspective. I would love to hear about how it was with your boys.
2: So, our boys when when they first came to see me in the hospital, when they left, they cried because they were scared because they saw daddy in the hospital. Sure. And they didn't understand it. But they really began to have some fun with it because they're big into all of the, like the Star Wars and the Marvel movies. And one of them we had just seen the week before. And they're like, you cannot not remember going to see that. So they're like, good, we get to go see all these movies all over again. <laughs> and so they had a great time telling me all about the characters and, all about the things and do you remember no i don't remember oh well let us tell you about and they would tell me about little things we had done and, and they
1: actually david had to calm us down because it's so weird he lived all of this with us but we got to this point of being really excited about telling him retelling the stories of our life you know we'd want to go through the photo albums and the memories and say dad this happened and this happened and we're so excited to tell him but yet his brain like literally 98, 99% of the information he's taking on, taking in second by second is new information. Mm-hmm. And he would have to say, guys, my brain, is out. <laughs> no <laughs> right. more stories, no more stories. Let's just live life. I can't handle any more stories. And so we'd all have to shut our mouths and just be present in that moment. Um, and so they, they cried at times. They had questions. They prayed for him Um But kids are really
0: resilient. Yeah. I'm wondering about your emotional connection to them. You know, you were saying that the people that you didn't know, you didn't have an emotional connection to. And these are kiddos, right, that are your kids. Do you know that they're yours? But they don't look like them. They don't act like them. The ones that you know in your head, right? So how did you, I mean, did you have that emotional connection with them?
2: Um. So, the hard part was, as I mentioned um was when I first saw them, and for me, in that moment, when they left, I remember thinking, "If this was hard for me, how hard must it have been for them mm. and At that moment, I made a conscious decision that they' they are my kids, just because I don't remember some history, doesn't change the fact that they're my kids, I'm their dad, and so I had had just reasoned in my mind that I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be dad, so that they have calm assurance in in their lives, in their home. Number one, to know that no matter what, I still love them
3: because mm-hmm.
2: I did. Even even in that, like, well, these are my boys. Just because I'm missing, I told them. I said, you know, the the easiest way for me to explain this to you, as as, as kids, was would, would be to say, like, somebody just took an ice cream scoop and whoop a bunch of my memories and they're gone. And they're, they're just put somewhere else for right now. And I said, so I need you to help me understand. And we're going to make new memories. And we're going to have, you know, we're going to make new times of fun. And we're going to do some things together. And we'll figure it out as we go.
1: I can affirm that he was and is. But especially during that time, there was a really um, special tenderness that he had. Um, we don't We don't give enough credit to how much stress impacts our day-to-day interactions with those that we love. And when his brain had shut down all of the stressors, it really had. It didn't remember anything that had been stressful. It left a lot of room for new connections. And there was a tenderness and a sweetness um, that he had, especially during that time, He also had, you know, that emotional detachment. So he had like this outsider's perspective on the boys. And I remember he would say, okay, I'm noticing this personality trait about this one. And I'm seeing this and I think it's because of this. And he was constantly evaluating.
0: Fascinating. That's so interesting. So I want to move on to hear the story of how you ended up getting your memory back.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing, actually. So one of the things that I mentioned to Shannon, I said, do we ever get away? Do we ever just get out of here? And we
1: He said that in the ER on day one, when he's relearning our life. Do we ever take vacations? Mm. And I said, well, you get about four weeks off a year. And last year, we only took two of those. And those were for business trips. For me, so no,
2: and so at that point, I wanted to get away because I didn't know what normal was. I just knew I wanted to get away and just be, mm-hmm. so that I could take some time. And so, some friends of ours um, got us a place in Florida, Fort, Fort Walton Beach, or wherever we were in Florida, and and so we were there, and we were right on the right on the water. And
1: I'm interrupt you and say, I knew that this trip was going to be part of our healing. Although I didn't know how I didn't know that his memories were going to come back or not. But he had been so passionate and intentional and urgent about needing to get away. I knew something, some type of healing was going to happen. And in our book, we talk about the roller coaster that this week actually was, which we won't go into that now. Um, People will have to read your book.
2: We can, we can. So we We had some of the most intense conversations regarding the future that week. Just sitting on the beach, the tide's coming in and going out, and we're talking about what's next. And I had already said, "You know, it looks like i'm I'm here in this place. I probably will not be going back to the church. I'm probably just going to go and do something different.
1: My heart was being ripped out at and, that moment, and
2: so we had some some really intense conversations. Unless she
1: told me you didn't know me anymore. That came up.
2: <laughs> well, if you can imagine
1: oh.
2: so here it is. there's here's all this gluten free, oily, Stuff that was like, here you go. I was like, where's where's regular toothpaste and where's where's the Tide laundry detergent and where's you know Krispy
1: Kreme donuts and
2: what is this (laughs) stuff called quinoa? I can promise you, I never liked that. And (laughs) so all of that, and I said, and I did. I said to her, I said, you're not the same person. And I didn't mean it in a harsh way. I just meant it in a in a in a
1: in a way that remember Mm -hmm.
2: it was just different and i was trying to 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 reconcile that and and so we we had some really intense conversations but every morning i would get up early and sit out on the balcony and i would read my bible and just pray and then just watch the sun come up over the water and it was such just a time of refreshing and and peace there but every day and then so friday morning came and and the day before we had had a really intense conversation and so friday morning it was before 6 a.m., so I'm sitting out there and I was reading and um, I was finished and I stood up. The sun had just come up and I stood up and, you know, when you stand up too quickly and you kind of you kind of darken. Well, that's what I liken it to. But it wasn't like that. I blinked and everything was black just that fast. And I thought, oh, no, now what's happening? So I just reached out and put my hands on the, the balcony railing that was there. And it felt like an eternity, but I'm sure it was like 10 seconds or maybe even less than that. But I'm thinking, what is this? And all of a sudden, I had this, this tingly feeling like cold chills, but it was starting in the top of my scalp and just whooshed through my body and, and out the bottom of my feet. And the next blink, everything's back and I'm thinking about church stuff, just that fast. And so nobody else was awake yet. And so I ran inside and I woke up Shannon. I said, "Shannon, Shannon, I think my memories are back." And she said, "Are you kidding me?" I said, "Why would I kid about this? Ask me something." And she said, "I can't think of anything to ask you." I said, "You're not helping me." And so finally, she asked me, um, who, was, "Who was this person?" I said, "Oh, that's Christy's mom." And then we just stood and cried like babies, and because everything had just come back
1: in an instant. It had, They had all just
2: just that fast come
1: back. It was wild. So then we started quizzing him on all the things that we hadn't told him during amnesia and um, realized truly everything had been unlocked, everything, 26 days of amnesia. And we didn't know when we left the hospital, if they were going to come back that day, that week, as he said, that month or never, we were just living life, adjusting, praying, surrendering, and on 26 days later, God decided it was time. We had learned the lessons we needed to learn. Um, He was ready to get a lot of glory from it all and miraculously brought his memories back in an instant when we were still and away from the normal stress of life and had started to relax.
0: Oh my goodness. So I want to hear you were just saying, you know, you learned these lessons. What are the lessons? that you learned that you don't think you could have learned any way else?
2: Um, It's, it's never too late to stop and evaluate everything you're doing in your life. Are you doing it because that's what somebody told you you should be doing? Are you doing it to please someone else? Are you doing it for you? Um, For us, as I mentioned, we put everything on the table. We sold our homestead. We moved. We downsized. Our house is smaller. We went from acreage to three-tenths of an acre. <laughs> and so that's changed um, the workload at church. I've been able to delegate a lot of that out. And so that's that's different now.
1: Things that we should have been able to do beforehand, it really did take the wake-up call of amnesia and the emotional detachment and then our attention to make those changes mm-hmm. and stuff that we had been hesitant to take away before. Now we thought uh, we we better learn our lesson. We don't want to walk through this again. If it took amnesia to get our attention, uh, we we need to make this count for something.
2: One of the most profound lessons that we learned we call the clean slate. And what we mean by that is we have to make a conscious decision what we carry in life. If we're going to carry hurts and bitterness and resentment, um, or are we going to carry joy and forgiveness and life? Mm -hmm. um, When you can take your mental thoughts captive and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to look at this from a positive aspect. Um, Life just seems to work better. Mm-hmm. When you on the opposite side of that, always move to the negative, always want to uh, place blame, always um, looking to to point out the flaw on the other person instead of just going, "Time out, hold on, take a step back, looking at things and going, "How do we make this work well there's always a way there's always a way. Mm-hmm.
1: There were five life-changing lessons that came from amnesia, and that really is the basis of our whole book, Uh, One Thing Remains. And just as a little tiny uh, snippet, The One Thing Remains does refer to the fact that God's word was the only thing he didn't forget. Everything else was gone, but his understanding of God's word was present-day David. That was bizarre and wild and uh, showed us that It it remains memory. You can't take it away. It lodges in a part of our our life that's deeper than just our memories. Um, But our lives were truly turned upside down by amnesia. What started as a nightmare turned into
0: a gift. Mm -hmm. That's so, and I know that when people go through things like big events like this over time, many times they become grateful for it, you know, in the middle of it, it's not necessarily you're grateful for it at all. And it's not a wonderful thing. And it's not, yay, I want to do that again at all. But just seeing the results of what happened in your life. I mean, you're shaking your head. I can see that. But is that kind of your experience?
1: Absolutely. Yes. yes. It it changed everything. And our lives don't look um, very similar to how it did beforehand. And we're grateful for it. We protect our stress level. We protect our sleep. We um, think about our relationships and that reset button is something that we work to press often. Um, We, it, it, yeah, it turned our life upside down.
0: I love that. And, and made it really wonderful. Yeah. It
1: did, but you know, when we were writing the book and retelling the lessons to ourselves, it was a little bit of a reality check because it's so easy to sure. slip back into old patterns, especially in our culture. And um, we had to say, "Whoa, we're writing about a clean slate, but we're holding grudges again." Or we're writing about not getting too stressed out and the lesson, but yet we're pretty stressed in this moment. And we had to preach to ourselves the mm-hmm. lessons again and again. It's not a one and done. No, for
0: sure. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Is there anything else about the story you want to share before we move on? Because I want to hear more about the book. I don't
1: think so. There's more in the book. Okay, (laughs) so tell
0: us about your book and how people can find it and uh, when it's coming out and all of that.
1: Yeah,
2: so the book is called One Thing Remains, and it's going to be released this month on the 22nd. So it'll be on Amazon and Inversion, paperback, hardback, all that good stuff.
1: And somewhere around that time, our website will be live and you can get more information there. It's just simply davidandshannoncarol.com. We're also launching a course where we dive uh, more deeply into each of those five lessons and help people learn how to uh, actualize those same lessons without having to go through amnesia. So we're pretty excited about that course.
0: That's great. So I will put all of that information in the show notes. Is there any place else you want them, want people to find you on social media or anything like that?
1: You can find us on Instagram. It's at David and Shannon Carroll. And then we also have a YouTube, which is also David and Shannon Carroll. So all the places, David and Shannon Carroll, you'll find us and we would love to connect with your audience as well.
0: Oh, that's great. Okay, so I have three questions that I always ask everybody on my podcast. So I'm going to ask you, the first is an event that changed you. And maybe we know that event already, but maybe there's another one you want to share with us.
1: I think that's the main one. The big ev- I can imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to the second one. Unless you had one, David, did you have another one?
2: That was pretty um, monumental. Monumental. <laughs> okay,
0: that's good. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next one. A person who changed you.
2: That's easy, Shannon.
0: Aww.
2: Just the grace that she showed to me mm-hmm. through all of that. And I could see um, the frustration. I could see um, her trying to be put on the brave face. Mm-hmm. And like she said, so she was the resident historian for all things like where does the silverware go i mean you know where do i put my clothes all of that what about these people everything and just the grace that she displayed walking through that and that she still shows to me mm-hmm. every day um goes beyond what i can describe it's simply amazing
1: mm. well i'm crying now <laughs> So, um, and yes, I was going to say David and, you know, I've often heard that when you go through suffering, what is inside already comes out. Absolutely. And you've heard him talk about the man and the character, uh, and as he's described his responses during that time, it was a sweetness. It was a depth of character. It was grace. Um, it was a surrender and a complete humility. Here was this man whose ego had been totally broken by not being a, he was a foreigner in his own life. You think about what that does to a person and their ego. And yet what emerged, what was in his heart was grace and love and surrender and a depth of character that is very true of who he is. Mm -hmm. And he has, We've always said we're bestest friends and I think if we can go through that experience together, we got anything.
0: You got it. That's amazing. Okay. The third question is a book that changed you.
2: Yeah. So Dr. Carolyn Leaf wrote a book called switch your brain on. And so I was trying to find anything to, to help me understand what was going on in my world. And so I dug into that book. Again, it's Carolyn Leaf's Switch Your Brain On and just a really well-written book talking about all aspects of just the brain's activities and pathways and new pathways and um, what negativity does to the brain and what positivity does to the brain. But this is a really well-written book.
0: Great, I have not heard about that. I, w- I will put that in my in my Amazon cart right now.
1: Yes, and she has a 21-day brain detox about changing our thought patterns. She is a a brilliant person who really uh, helped us during that time. Um, Mine, besides the Bible, of course, is a devotional book that someone gave me during amnesia time, and it has stuck with me to be something that I read every day called Streams in the Desert. And it basically helps get a right perspective on suffering, which it doesn't sound so exciting, right? But short little devotionals that each day help, um, they've helped me be grounded and help me to interpret what's happening in my life in a way that is positive and learning to embrace it and grow from it um, instead of resisting it and staying stuck.
0: I will put both of those links in the show notes. Those sound like great books. So thank you so much, both of you, for being with me today. Thank
2: you that, for having us. It's been a, a pleasure.
0: That yes, was just okay. a really fun to hear your story. <laughs> so. Thank
1: you. We, we, it was never on our life's goal to write a book about amnesia. Ever. <laughs> but when we saw how much the experience changed us and how it, other people were responding to it, uh, we knew we had to. So we pray that the book is a blessing to everyone who reads it.
0: Well, I cannot wait to get it. So thanks so and much. Looking
2: back, I think it would do everybody well for everyone to have a little bit of amnesia in their life, to let go of some things, to yeah. not be so serious about life, and to just enjoy what we've been given
0: those are good words to end on. Thank you so much. I love that. All right. We will talk soon. Take care. So wasn't that an amazing story? There's so much I still need to think about even after listening to that interview several times. It is so interesting to me that our brains can actually do that. And The one thing that really caught my attention, I guess, was the fact that without his memories, he had no emotional connection to the things in his life. The past or our past creates the connection to the things we have in the present, right? People and possessions both, we create connections to both of those. It makes sense, I guess, but it also gives me some insight into why I keep things that are not serving me in my life right now, because I have a connection to them that feels like they're important. So I've decided to go through my closet and try to disconnect from my things. I'm going to try to just see if they're serving me in my, my life right now in the moment. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> I wonder, where are you going to do that? How can you find some things in your life that maybe you had a connection to, but you don't really need in your life right now? And another thing I was very struck by was the need to let go of good things in our life to make room to just be. Sometimes when we have filled our life so much, it feels empty and numb when we have free time. But this experience made David and Shannon slow down and help them let go of the things that were getting in the way of their health and wellness. Oftentimes, the good is the enemy of the best. It's not usually the bad things that keep us from fulfilling our purpose in life, But much of the time, it's the plethora of good things that distract us from our true mission. This is so important to keep remembering. These good things keep creeping into our lives and it's so easy for them to do that. This is why it's so important to have defined our vision and have a clear purpose for our life. When you do that you will better be able to evaluate commitments and your plans and all the things to see if they fit into that vision. This isn't something that happens once. Even Shannon and David were saying they still catch themselves doing too much and not leaving room for just being. It's a continual practice. It's getting close to the end of the year. It's such a good time to evaluate things in your life right now. Are you on mission? Do you have a clear vision for where you're going? What can be cut out to leave margin in your life? You know, we'll be talking about all of these things over the next few weeks in some of the upcoming episodes, and I am so looking forward to that. I hope you have a great week. Take time to slow down and breathe and notice the good things. Be well. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes. And you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at essentiallybetterlife.com. And check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.